This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Austin, also known as Teacup. And my name is Shelby, also known as SheCup. Join us as we embark on unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed universe. From Assassins to Templars to the mysterious Isu and more, we will seek to uncover it all. So join us, and maybe even take a leap of faith. Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Shelby. You might also know me as SheCup, and I am one of the co-hosts for this show, and I'm joined by my other co-host, Austin, and I'll let him give his little intro. Yeah, so I am Austin, also known as Teacup. I am your lore guide for this podcast, the Assassin's Creed Lorecast, and I'm excited to be here. I'm also excited to be here. This week, we are continuing our season two of this show. We're still a little bit new, but we're excited to be in the season two. So with that being said, Austin, last week we talked about Apples of Eden, right? So we're kind of doing this little mini series on pieces of Eden. So I'm assuming we're talking about another piece of Eden today. Just not sure which one. Yeah. So we are doing the pieces of Eden. Um, Kind of how I've had it set out is we're looking at the piece of Eden based on when we see them in the game. So obviously we did the apple first because that's the first piece of Eden that we see. Right. And so this week we are doing the staff of Eden or staves of Eden. Yeah. Is it not staffs? It's really staves. Yeah. Staves is the plural. Like, so I'm, if you remember from Dragon Age, they're called staves in Dragon Age. When does anyone say that? Uh, I believe that there are several merchants in DAO and DA2 who are stave merchants. Okay. Well, I clearly didn't care enough about that to remember. (laughs) Yes. But staves is apparently the plural. All right. Well, that's good to know. All right. Well, you ready to get going? I am. Let's do it. All right. So let's start with our general overview of the Staves of Eden. And so the staff represents sovereignty and dominion, whereas the apple represents control. So remember, all pieces of Eden were designed to control and manipulate humankind into serving the Isu. That is their base function. I mean, I know that. I just don't like it. So throughout history, the staffs of Eden have, or staves of Eden, have been used by various political leaders, whether Egyptian pharaohs, Israelite prophets, Roman popes, and Russian czars. So kind of just a good slew over that continent of Europe and Asia. So you said popes, Russian czars, and who else? Israelite prophets and Egyptian pharaohs, which all have staffs as symbols of power. Right, of course. I just find it interesting because with the apples, it was way more varied than that. Like there were some over in America. There's um, a lot in Europe. There's even one in China with the apples. And this seems more like, I mean, not quite Middle Eastern centered, but in that area of the world, at least. Eurasia. 
yeah, at least less diverse than um, the apples, perhaps. Yeah, and I think that has to do is that there's less staves of Eden because they were only used by leaders. That makes sense. Right. So we'll go briefly into the powers of the staves, and then we'll get into the ones we see and the known staves. So they have the power to control the mind and body. Whereas the apple is just really the mind and manipulating that, the stave can restrict you physically. It also has the power to completely conceal the user's presence, kind of like an invisibility cloak or something like that. You can levitate. And, but this is weird that is like, is this an actual physical ability or is it just manipulating the perception of the target? If that makes sense. Like, are you actually levitating or is whoever you're using the staff against? just perceiving you that way so that's that's part of that uh like the apples the staves also had the power to create tangible illusions that could interact with the physical world and then the staff could also transmit voices from the past to the user question because i don't Mm -hmm. remember um is there anything that the apples do that is similar to the levitating thing Like, is there anything that it does with your body that like moves you, like gives you the speed of flight or whatever? Like, I'm just, I'm just riffing on that. Is there anything similar to that ability to levitate that the staff gives you? So the staff, well, the apple, if you remember from the episode, some of them have the ability to transform humans into kind of monstrosities but we mainly only see that with Cassandra. And so whether that, that kind of goes into like, are those actually apples or are they a different piece of Eden that looks like an apple? I think they're categorized officially as apples, but no one's ever said like, oh, this is an apple of Eden. Mainly because Cassandra wouldn't be familiar or use that kind of terminology. Yeah, that makes sense. Anything else about their powers? I don't like it. (laughs) I know. I don't like it. Insert Christopher Evans meme. (laughs) All right. Okay. So you ready for the known ones that we see? And this is your warning. A lot of these are going to be interacting with the end of Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and Assassin's Creed 2. So the first one for the staff is the Papal Staff. And this is first wielded by Simon Peter, who passed it down to his successors as the Bishop of the Bishops of Rome. Now, the office of the Bishop of Rome would later become the papacy. Peter never claimed the title Pope or used the title Pope or it wasn't around. He was Bishop of Rome, but he was not, he is technically the first Pope by the Roman Catholic standards. He never took that title nor was given that title in his lifetime yeah and also like if you're not christian you don't care about this or you probably know about this but like not all christians care about the pope yeah but all christians should and do care about peter because he was one of jesus's disciples um but there are a lot of also a lot of christians out there who probably do take issue with the the stance that Peter was the first Pope. We could go on about how we think Peter probably would not want the mantle of Pope. No, I just think it's important to talk about when like the video game brings it into the content. 
Yeah. And like, this is the thing you can look on the wiki and they'll say this was wielded by the first Pope, Simon Peter, which is technically true because the Catholic Church does recognize him as the first Pope. But that's not a title he ever received. Right. Because the title didn't exist then. Correct. He was Bishop of Rome. That is true. So anyway, the papal staff would then be passed on to various bishops of Rome, eventually the papacy, the popes, until it passed to Pope Alexander VI, a.k.a. Rodrigo Borgia, a.k.a. the Spaniard, a.k.a. the jerk who killed Ezio's family. I hate him. I hate him. You know, I don't like him either, but I cannot wait for you to get to brotherhood and meet someone infinitely worse than him. She was too stunned to speak. Yes. That's Let's all I have. say that the sins of the son far outweigh the father. That's horrific. Like that is genuinely horrifying. So in December of 1949, Rodrigo becomes Pope and gets the staff in 1940 or in 1492. No, it was 1942. Yeah, it happened in 1942. Right in the middle of World War II, you know, this Spanish person from the 15th century comes along. Just kidding. It was 1400s, not 1900s. So in 1499, in December, Ezio attempts to confront Rodrigo one last time. Doing so after their conflict, Rodrigo uses the apple and the staff. This is an important power. They often had a slot where you could put an apple of Eden, which would enhance the mind control abilities of both items. He uses that to open a vault, which you've seen this already in Assassin's Creed Origins. When they're opening the seawall vault, you'll see a picture of them like putting a staff and an apple into the ground. And that opens the vault, similar to the vault in Rome that they open there. I have a question. Uh-huh. Okay, so you said that the the staff usually has like a slot to put an apple in. Here's my question. So hypothetically, if you had like a staff, a sword, an apple, a ring, and whatever else there is that I am unaware of, all together at once, could you become like basically Thanos of the world? I mean, you'd have a lot of power, a lot of power. And like, even with all of those items, like the modern day countries and their like machines of war wouldn't be able to stand a chance against you, especially if you had the shroud too. Oh yeah, that's the other And one. we'll get the, into these other pieces of Eden, but if you collected all of these pieces of Eden, you could effectively make yourself a god and invincible. Um, that's why I think Abstergo is a little one-sided i mean they are kind of after every piece of eden but they're like obsessed with the apples because they're obsessed with this control the world thing yeah i don't like i don't like that but that's frightening yes a lot of Um, these don't exist in real life you know uh, yes so the staff after the events of two the staff is sealed beneath the ground underneath the vatican and is seemingly lost we don't ever see it again so i have issue with this because It just makes me think that the Italian Brotherhood is incompetent. This staff has been going around since first century CE. And you're telling me that none of the Hidden Ones or the Assassins knew it existed until the 15th century? I mean, to be fair, Ezio's family, they're all Assassins, right? And they all basically get killed in like one one scene. 
Right. So, There's a lot of, and like a lot of influential people, like you're telling me Machiavelli never met with the Pope. Right. Well, I mean, you also talk about like how the Templars are best when, or the assassins are best when they are underground, when they are not in power. And I do feel like the assassins at that time, at this time that we're discussing, they are more, I wouldn't say powerful, but like they're not having to hide from everyone all the time. You know what I mean? Right. And so, but I just think it's unlikely that in all of the time, like, because, and it would be one thing if like the Pope was just a leader in Italy, but like assassins across the world would have seen the Pope with this staff and no one would have been able to pick up on it. That was a piece of Eden. It's just, a, it seems like a stretch to me. Did they know at this time that Swords of Eden existed? Maybe like, you know, both Bayek and Aya see a staff of Eden. Yeah, they do. But you have to think about the time difference. Like we're talking about that's 1500 years. The ability, it's very possible that that knowledge got lost. That's true. But at this point, I mean, I think it's just the fact that like they, Assassin's Creed 2 was the second game and they have since expanded the lore. But you have to think a point that like, you know, 1400 years is a long time. And that's a lot of assassins. But I don't know. That was my thing about just like, it seemed unbelievable to me that it could go that long without an assassin discovery until Ezio comes to the point of the papal staff is a piece of Eden. Yeah, I get that. But anyway, let's move on. So the imperial staff is a staff that we find in Russia. So this is a different staff from the papal staff. This is the staff number two. Correct. This staff was recovered by Tsar Alexander III and was used as the imperial sector to maintain his power over the Russian Empire. This staff was named Peace of Eden number 34 by Abstergo. So I'm sure there's some database where we have how many pieces of Eden Abstergo thinks exist, because you keep asking me how many there are, and I keep saying that I don't know, but this one's number 34. Okay, good to know. So there's at least 34. Uh, the staff is then transferred to Nikolai Orvev in October of 1888, which he was an assassin. Um, in the summer of 1908, members of the Assassin's Order contacted Tesla, who we know is an Assassin Templar just go-between. He just works with both groups uh, and offered him a chance for retribution on the Templar for his disaccreditation by Templar Thomas Edison which that tracks for me. Thomas Edison would totally be a Templar. Why? Because he was known to just be a bully and take credit for other people's work. So using his mastery of electricity, Tesla broadcasted the destruction of a facility, creating one of the largest explosions in history, which estimated to have the force of more than 30 megatons of TNT and flattened more than 2,000 kilometers. The Explosion also obliterated the research facility and the staff within. So this event is a complete assassin's victory because the assassins are basically like, let's destroy these pieces of Eden because they are not great for our goal, which I think is true. Like some assassins are like, okay, let's use these against the Templars. But at at their core, these pieces of Eden are designed to control humankind and limit their freedom. So I think that the assassins at the end should just their goal should be to destroy these 
things. I agree with that. I very much agree with that. I, I don't, I would be very skeptical. Like if I was an assassin and my superiors were telling me like, I'm just a regular everyday, like cog in the machine. And my superiors are telling me, Oh, you have to go steal the staff of Eden or even an apple of Eden or whatever so that we can one up the Templars. I would be, I would be asking some major questions. Right. And so that's a good point. And like one of the reasons is that they are incredibly difficult to destroy. I mean, they survive so much that they survive, you know, an entire solar flare switching the magnetic poles and causing the destruction of the earth. Like they survived that. Like the Isu are gone, but the pieces of Eden are still here. Right. Which also like, I know last week we talked about the whole Reaper comparison, but it's kind of funny how in Mass Effect, the Leviathans are the ones that created the Reapers and then the Reapers overtook the Leviathan, but it's kind of flipped. Whereas the Isu created or, or used or whatever, the pieces of Eden and the pieces of Eden outlast even the Isu. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting. Right. And it's like, it's kind of like Mass Effect where like the Protheans are gone, but all their architecture is still yeah, okay. yeah. So this is considered a complete victory for the assassins. Orlev, Nikolai Orlev, the assassin, he's the only one who survives the event, and he part and he returns to his partner, bloodied and buried alive, asserting that the staff had finally been destroyed. But as I just talked about, pieces of Eden are not that easy to destroy. Right. So this statement is not true as there are at least one shard of the staff uh, remain. And the shards of staffs turn into what we might know as daggers of Eden. Oh, and we'll have, they'll have their own episode as well. Too. Yes. And so, and the shard somehow comes into the possession of Rasputin, who uses it to manipulate Nicholas, Tsar Nicholas's wife, Alexandra, to psychologically scar one of his disciples, a name, um, a Russian woman after you failed to kill him. So this is like the real Rasputin. Yes. In 1916, Rasputin was assassinated by the Assassin Brotherhood and they took the shard and he took the shard with him to his grave in 1917. Nikolai, having learned of the shard's existence, concluded that even the fragment of the staff would be a fret, exhumed Rasputin's body and retrieved it the shard from his courts. As of October of 2002, the shard was in possession of one of Nikolai's descendants, Nadia. What happens in 2002 that we know that specifically? Um, if I had to guess, this is around the time that the Russian Brotherhood is experience, experimenting with the Animus. And so, or maybe a little bit after that, it's around the time of the Great Purge but a little bit before. So I would assume that that is either, it's either hidden or lost or somewhere. Yeah. So this one is location unknown. We know it was with this person, but we don't know where it is in 2022, 20 years later. But so the, it's not a staff anymore. It's just, it's just a piece of it. Correct. So it's semi-destroyed. Correct. But the first one is still alive and kicking. The papal staff? Yeah. I mean, it's so in in current canon right now, the papal staff that is wielded by the Pope in Assassin's Creed universe is not a piece of Eden. Okay. So then never mind. Because at the end of Assassin's Creed 2, 
the staff sinks into the earth. And Mario Auditori says, better in the hands of the earth than the hands of men. Okay, but we know from Apples of Eden that they just kind of appear, disappear, right here. So um, it depends on, I mean, it is assumed that from what we know, that's where it last was and that's where we last saw it. Okay. So one more and then we'll take our break and then we'll get into some of the less, the, some of the more recent staffs we've seen. So during, during the fourth century BCE, so this is like 400 years before the birth of Christ, the Templars somehow managed to acquire, well, not the Templars, the Order of Ancients, somehow managed to acquire a staff of Eden. They entrusted their ally, Alexander the Great, with it, who used it to create one of the largest empires in history, which, yes, if you do not know and you don't remember from some of your history, Alexander the Great is responsible for what's called the Hellenization or the basically spreading of Greek culture all around the Mediterranean. So up into North Africa and across like those Mediterranean Europe, European countries and over into uh, Southwest Asia. Unlike the emperors who came after him, he created the library of Alexandria instead of burning it down. You know, that's like one of my personal tragedies. Like, <laughs> yeah. If like, if you see the Caesars in heaven, if they're there, uh, you're going to, why would they be there? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they're there. <laughs> not to cut that out. Um, but no, I'm leaving that one. Uh, you could, you would punch them just for the library of Alexandria. I would probably punch him for a lot of things, but yeah, primarily. So after Alexander's death, the staff was buried along with him in a tomb in Alexandria. It would remain there for 300 years until it was discovered in 48 BCE by Bayek and Aya, which if you remember this from Origins, you see that you go to the, you find the tomb of Alexander and like Caesar is all Alexander the Great, my hero. Uh, so in 47 BCE, the Order of Ancients recovered the staff along with an apple of Eden from Apollodorus in the tomb and brought it to the vault in Siwa where they unlocked the secrets within. Shortly after, Septimius left Egypt and brought the staff with him where he gave it to the order based in Rome. So I'm assuming at some point Aya takes out the order in Rome with her version of the Hidden Ones and the staff is moved and lost and or maybe this is the staff that saint peter gets and the alexander staff and the papal staff are one and the same we don't know so yeah let's go to our mid-break my cousin shoot shoot the flying demon malaka 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 even now faced as i am with the truth of your cold words i refuse because i believe things can still change I may never succeed. The assassins may struggle another thousand years in vain, but we will not stop. Okay, let's do it. So some of the things I have to tell you in the mid-break. Number one, you should join our Discord server. It is a server dedicated to all of our podcasts. And right now we have the Dragon Age Lorecast and the Assassin's Creed Lorecast and Teacup. He does the Holocron Histories show. So that um, our server is the official home of all three of those podcasts. So you should definitely join us if you want the 
um, most up-to-date news for all the podcasts. You hear it in the Discord server first. We also have a ton of people. We always have something going on. Somebody's streaming or we're talking about something ridiculous or sharing pictures of our dogs or posting memes. And sometimes I'm streaming The Sims. So definitely come over there and hang out with us. You can also join the Robots Radio server. If you're looking for more podcasts, this is the perfect place to be. We are also in that server as well. And then also, if you leave us a five-star review with words, we will read it out on the show. So you can leave us a review with words on Apple iTunes, the podcasts app, You can also leave us a rating without words on Spotify. So if you leave us a five-star rating, we will, we will read it out on the show. We do not have a new review to read today. So if you want to review us, leave us one and we'll read it out next week. Austin, is there anything that I'm forgetting? I don't think so. The only thing I was remembering is that if you do rate us on Spotify with five stars, and you want to say some words but don't have an Apple account, you can email them us at assassinscreedlorecast at gmail.com or come into the Discord and PM one of us. Yes, you absolutely can. So if that's all we have to discuss in the mid-break, let's get back to it. All right, let's do it. And I know I was really nice to you, but actually I'm just another Templar plot twist. And yes, I would like very much for you to be controlled by a magic space wizard so that you can murder me. I am not a father anymore. I am not a husband. I am not a Medjay. I am a hidden one. Yes. We are the hidden ones. So, we've got a couple more to do. And then we'll be done. Because there's not as many staffs as there are apples. The Shattered Staff is the next one. So, this is... Rumored to have belonged to St. James at some point before the Reconquista, this staff was broken into three parts. The top section, the upper section, and the shaft. The Spanish Inquisition leader, Torquemada, coveted both the staff and the Apple of Eden in order to control Spain and destroy the Brotherhood, sending his soldiers to hunt for the parts. After battling many staff-created enemies and Torquemada himself, the assassins managed to silence Torquemada and take the staff. To avoid it falling into Templar hands, it was destroyed using Isu architecture in a place called the Forge. The ancient vault disappeared, buried under the Monastery of St. Thomas and the Staff of Eden along with it. So this is really interesting because, you know, there's uh, a lot of kind of like mythology around what's called the Spear of Destiny. I don't know if you know what that is. So the Spear of Destiny is the spear that was used to pierce Christ's side. But that's not... That's not from the Bible. No. That's um, just this what is, it's referred to as. This is kind people. of like more mythology around, like you think about the Holy Grail, which is the cup that Jesus uses in the Last Supper. Like, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Like, so all of these, huh. that's why in the, um, the Holy Grail Indiana Jones movie, can't remember the actual name of it. That's why when he picks... Like everyone picks all these grand and jeweled cups, but Indiana Jones picks up this like ordinary cup because he's like, this is what Jesus probably would have used. Well, that's, he's right. So. Right. Um, So it's more kind of like along the lines of that, like these, there's a bunch 
as Christianity develops as a religion, there's a bunch of myths that develop around these items that Jesus interacted with, whether that's the Holy Grail, the cup he uses at the Last Supper, or the spear that pierces his side. So apparently the mythology around it is that because the spear had Jesus's blood on it, it's imbued with magical powers. In some mythologies and in the DC comic universe, the spear of destiny can be used to rewrite reality as you see fit. Um, I think that that's really interesting that they would use that because like in Christian teaching or not in Christian teaching, but like in, in the life of Christianity, especially in the medieval period, relics became a huge thing. Like, this was the cloth that was warm when Lazarus was, was risen again, you know, by Jesus. So I do think it's interesting just, just knowing how people behave with items that could potentially could be of great importance. You know, it makes sense. Yeah. But it's also theorized that the, the spear of destiny was broken into three pieces as well. Can I ask another question? Uh-huh. Is is the shroud of Eden the clothes that Jesus wore at his crucifixion? Um, so in we'll get into this in the shroud. Stop making me talk about other episodes in this episode. But Sorry. we'll get into this. But the shroud of Eden is the cloth in which Jesus was buried in. I guess very close. But he is he is buried in a shroud. It's not like the spear of destiny become is an ordinary spear that becomes magical because it interacted with Jesus's blood. The shroud was always an Isu artifact. Okay, well, let's stop talking about. Um. Anyway, so anyway, the point of this is like this staff is broken into three pieces. So maybe there is a relection. Like the only way they could kill Jesus was to stab him with the staff of eden because the staffs did have like typically have a like spear pointed in to where it could be used as a spear so yeah but again lots of stuff related to the first century and i think we won't i don't think we'll see a lot more of that because i think ubisoft as a company is trying to stay away from that century and tying a lot of this isu stuff with practiced religions that happen now yeah i definitely think that it's i feel like if they go any more toward that narrative like people are going to be pissed off people are going to get offended and i'm not necessarily offended by this stuff personally but i know some people who would be yeah um and it's you know they get to points like they've always kind of skirted around this like in the dc world they encounter the spirit of destiny and like some time traveling superheroes and they're like, okay, well, let's just go back to the crucifixion and get the spear. And that's how we can solve this. And the guy's like, no, like the crucifixion of Jesus is like off limits because there's too much that you can interfere with that causes detrimental effects on the rest of reality. And that's basically what like the birth of Christ, the death of Christ are both events that when messed with affect reality in negative ways. Which, you know, I could see that point because it is a significant event that sets the known world at the time on a trajectory of great change. Well, and not only that, but, you know, something like something like two billion people are Christians today. So you're impacting like a lot of people. There are seven billion people in the world. That's a lot of people that you'd be impacting. Right. 
But anyway, so this staff in three parts is buried and seemingly destroyed, but destroyed and not destroyed are two different things. Seemingly destroyed is not always destroyed in the Assassin's Creed world. So now we're getting into a staff that we actually get a lot of time with and actually spans two games, which so this is the point of Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Valhalla spoilers, big spoilers for the ends of these games. So this is created by the Isu Hermes. Hermes? Hermes. Like Her the god? Yes, the god of travelers, thieves, everything like that. Interesting. Um, so all the Greek gods are Isu in the Assassin's Creed. Of universe. course they are. I don't know why, but that just tracks to me. A lot of the a lot of the polytheistic pantheons end up being Isu in the Assassin's Creed universe. What about the Roman gods? Uh, they consider them one and the same with the Greek. Okay, interesting. Which isn't a one-for-one -one comparison, but I see their point. So the staff was used by the Isu Loki as a vessel for the con for the consciousness of his dire dying lover, Aletheia, securing that they will meet again one day. During the 6th century BCE, Hermes met the Greek scholar Pythagoras, which is the father of the Pythagorean theorem, for those of you who needed flashbacks to high school of A squared plus B squared equals C squared. I have a funny story. Okay. One time when Austin and I were dating like a thousand years ago, we had like just been, just started dating very soon into our relationship. And we got into an argument about the Pythagorean theorem for whatever reason. And he realized he was wrong like three seconds into my argument and continued to argue his point because he wanted to argue. I regret nothing. <laughs> uh, well, we got married, so it worked out for you. Yes. And so Hermes designates Pythagoras as the new wielder of the staff. The, art the artifact, this one, expanded the life of Pythagoras until the end of the 5th century BCE, around 422 BCE. On the advice of Aletheia, Pythagoras handed over the staff to his daughter, Cassandra. Who sealed, who sealed the Atlantis within it. Um, later, Cassandra was contacted by the consciousness of Aletheia, which tasked her as the keeper to unleash the power of the staff for the air of memories in the Atlantis sealed room. Cassandra experienced simulations of Elysium, the underworld, and Atlantis to discover the true potential of the artifact. And so these are all called the Fate of Atlantis DLCs in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And you experience all that. You meet a lot of Isu. It's a great DLC, even though I'm, you know, famous on here for talking about that. I don't like the Isu storylines. The Fate of Atlantis is a good one. And I really enjoyed that one. So Cassandra basically unlocks the power, which gives her a lot of things. It makes her immortal. She can't die. It heals her wounds. It also gives you the power to be impervious to damage for a little bit. Um along with other Isu powers. And so, like, but, like, you have to have the staff on your person. And the staff can, like, hide itself and, like, shrink itself to, like, a bracelet or something else that you can just, like, retract so you're not just always, like, carrying around this staff on your person. But if it ever leaves your person, you will lose the power of its immortality, which happens to Pythagoras. When he hands it to Cassandra, he, like, fades into dust. So that will happen to Cassandra one day when she passes it on. 
funny you say that. Okay. Because Cassandra remains the keeper of the staff until the year 2018 when she met in Atlantis, the heir of memories, Layla Hassan. An assassin who relived Cassandra's memories with the Animus to recover the staff. Cassandra trusted the artifact to Layla, asking her to destroy it after bringing the balance between order and chaos. After Layla took the staff, Cassandra died instantly. That makes me sad. I love yes, her. But yes, that's how Cassandra lives to interact with Eivor. Okay, well, that makes sense, but it still makes me sad. Yeah. Uh, so later, Alethea contacts Layla and asks her to relieve, relive Cassandra's memories in the simulation she created to control the staff. So Layla is living through it's like this weird like an inception moment of like dream within a dream like but it's like so Alethea creates a simulation for Cassandra to experience and then Layla is using the animus to relive Cassandra's memories of that simulation which is makes my brain hurt yeah I was like I don't understand how that works but okay right the staff uh, started corrupting her due to the low amount of her low amount of Isu DNA. Remember that you cannot use Isu artifacts if you don't have a lot of Isu DNA without going crazy. So we're talking about Layla here. Layla has yes. low DNA. Yeah, Cassandra has an extraordinarily high amount of Isu DNA. Right, right. Um, so after Layla accidentally kills her friend, Victoria, with the staff, the assassins decide to keep the artifact under glass while monitoring Layla with mood stabilizers. In 2020, Layla uses the staff to protect her from the radiation while now entering uh, Yggdrasil vault in Norway. After approaching this device, uh, Layla's picked up by this machine. When entering the simulation, she dropped the staff on the floor below. The artifact was reclipped was quickly recovered by Bazim, who is a sage of Loki and a former member of the Hidden Ones who was trapped in there since 877 CE by Eivor. The sage used the power of the staff to rejuvenate his old body. Bazim returned to Layla's safe house with the staff and dealt an alliance with the assassin Rebecca Crane and Sean Hastings. Layla then dies. Her body dies in Yggdrasil and she remains in the machine conscious with what we assume is the consciousness of Desmond Miles. So they, what do you mean by their consciousness? Um, like their memories and thoughts are trapped in this like machine, but their so body. They all just dead. kind of live in the animus now, but they don't have like. Sort agent. of. It's not an animus. It's an Isu artifact that lets you like go to like a simulation so like when Eivor gets trapped in it briefly Eivor and her brother they experience what they think is Valhalla interesting Uh, and and then Eivor quickly realizes like this isn't Valhalla mainly because Eivor's father is there and her father died without his axe in his hand he actually willingly gave up his axe to die Uh, why uh, I'm not going to say anymore because you can experience it. And so that's what kind of like shocks Eivor is like, no, you would, I don't believe you would be here. Like you were a good person, but according to our faith, you wouldn't be here. This can't be real. And right. that's what shakes the 
thing. But what Layla experiences is like the consciousness of Desmond, like doing a lot of calculations. And so we haven't been confirmed that it is Desmond because we don't get like a silhouette of his body. It's just like this light thing, but it's his voice actor who's doing the voices. So this is all the staff of Hermes. The right. staff of this is a separate artifact. It's just part of the staff of Hermes story. Okay. okay. So the but, staff of yeah, the staff of Hermes is in Basm's uh or Loki's possession right now. So because it has it been confirmed that Basm is the next protagonist of the next Assassin's Creed game? Yes, we do know that for a fact. So most likely this staff will make another reappearance. Correct. Um, well, maybe it's unconfirmed because the what we know of the story, we think, is before Valhalla. Like it's Basm's story before he comes into Valhalla. And I, without spoiling too much, like he's a character that meets Eivor and is in the present day. Okay, well, he has. And that's all thanks to the staff and the fact that he's an Isu sage. So. All right. Well, let's move on from this one into the other staves that we have. Yeah. So the earliest known use of the staff was the prophet Moses, who used its innate powers to create an illusion and mind control to part the Red Sea, freeing the Israelites from Egypt. That, okay. Um, Don't like that. I mean, earlier I said I wasn't offended by the whole Jesus stuff, but I might be a little bit offended about that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and mainly because like that's such an integral story to like the Jewish faith and the Christian faith, but really the Jewish faith. So one staff of Eden is also known to have been used by the Pharaoh Sabataka, who used it to rule over ancient Egypt in the early 7th century BCE and was likely used by far- various pharaohs before and after him, which makes sense because like one, a staff is a big symbol of like the Pharaoh. They would have like a staff and scepter like that's the symbol of their power. So it makes sense that eventually some of these would be pieces of Eden. Plus Egypt is in close proximity to what they call like the fertile crescent or like the birthplace of like civilization. So odds are that like a lot of the Isu cities were probably around that area. Uh, John the Baptist, the prophet and religious leader who baptized Jesus, was in possession of a staff of Eden during his lifetime, which... Okay, John, like, if you have a staff of Eden, why are you living in the desert and eating crickets? Come on. Okay, first of all, it was locusts. Whatever. (laughs) And then anyway, that's really all we know about the staffs of Eden, staves of Eden, whatever you want to call it. That's interesting. It's interesting, like, this, this one is so different from the apples because I feel like the apples have so many more historical people that are involved. And I feel like these staves are all religious people, like, from the Bible. Well, you got the czar, the Russian czars. And that's it. Uh, yeah. Like well, one like, pharaoh? I mean, I just think it's interesting the way that that kind of shook out. Yeah. I think also a point of this is like why the staffs aren't utilizing more is like they can be hidden, but they're not very conspicuous. And both the Templars and Assassins are going to favor things that are conspicuous that they can hide in plain sight. And you wielding a giant golden staff that does magic things. It's not very subtle. So I don't think they would be top on the list of things to find, you know? Yeah, because, yeah, you're right. It it does make them very, hey, I have this magical thing. Right. Um, 
which is another point like why don't the Ezio's assassins like why don't the Italian Brotherhood realize this before 1499 like come on yeah no that's fair um so that's really all we know and I think to your point like it's just the fact that there I think there were less of them I think the Isu created less of them because they it was only for their leaders so would you say that the staves or the apples are more powerful? I think they're about the same. I think the staves have a little more powers that they can use, but I think they're about the same in where they are, you know? Mm-hmm. We'll get into next week. We'll talk about the Swords of Eden. Exciting. Yeah. Which was used by one of your favorite historical characters, a certain female warrior who liberated france from england oh joan of arc mm-hmm. oh yeah we've already talked about that yeah um well anyway awesome i'm excited for that one but unless you have anything to add we can wrap up tonight's show no nope, i'm good all right well thank you so much for listening to the assassin's creed lorecast we'll see you next week Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at Assassin's Creed Lorecast, or you could talk to us on Discord in the Robots Radio Discord or our personal Discord server. Both links found in this episode's descriptions. Thank you for listening, and always stay to the shadows to serve the light, Assassins. When a wasteland detective and a vault girl cross paths, no criminal is safe. You're both under arrest. Don't move a muscle if you know what's good for you. Based in Bethesda's Fallout series, follow Walter and Bunny as they traverse the Texas Commonwealth and New Vegas, busting big crime rings. We'll need all we can to expand into Vegas territory. And surviving anything the wasteland can throw at them. It's him! It's the Mothman! Featuring a series of nail-biting narratives and guest stars from across the Fallout community. It's anybody's guess what thrilling case is up next. War never changes, does it, Bonnie? No, it certainly does not. True Vault Escapades, a Fallout audio drama. Available anywhere you get podcasts.